Insert gay card. I'm feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Wish I knew how queens isn't. I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Gay card revoked. Hey everybody, and welcome to Gay Card Revoked. I'm Rob Schneider. I'm Robbie Roselle. Welcome. And well, welcome. Welcome to all of us. Welcome to all of us. Today we're getting so literary on everybody. You actually had to read oh. for this one. Now, yeah, that's. <laughs> do you like reading, Robbie? I have to say, I turned 43 this year, and my goal was to read 43 books in the year. Oh, that's I, cool. Thank you. I have not made that goal. Um, you would think in the in the in the Coco Roro Quarantina times that <laughs> I have nothing else to do, but my husband decided to get me addicted to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills instead. So here we are. What are we reading today, folks? What's, what's in our, what do we pull off of our library shelves or our Kindles? Or possibly our Audible subscription. Mm. Here's what I'm going to say. Don't use, don't use one of your credits on this book. I'm gonna uh, whoa. We have, you have to go and unbiased. We have to keep an open mind. I actually, I read uh, Velvet Rage on Audible and they had Gilbert Gottfried narrating it. And it was actually kind of wonderful. What did it sound like? You failed of shame. You have such shame about being a homosexual. Anything just... about being in love with your father or... You love your daddy. Your dad is the first man you want to love. Okay, so we are reading The Velvet Rage. I met Rage. Trent. He was a psychologist from New Mexico. He kept hooking up with lots of boys. I said it's because you don't love your daddy. Chapter three. <laughs> Sorry. That's, uh, is that's... this like the, the fourth sequel to Aladdin? Is that what's <laughs> happening right here on this day? <laughs> so the book, okay. the book, sorry, folks, is called The Velvet Rage, Overcoming yep. the Pain of Growing Up in a, uh, a Gay in a Straight Man's World by Dr. Alan Downs. Once again, you Got can it. buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Audible, local library, or what what I would prefer, I think what we would all prefer, is find a locally owned black indigenous person of color bookstore and order it from them. Show your support. Yeah. Show your don't, support. Don't go to, to Bezos. No, Buy no. Local. There's other yes, please. Buy local for Velvet Rage. And of course, like every episode, there is a drink that goes <laughs> yep. along with the Velvet Rage. Robbie, would you tell us what Just our drink like to is? Remind you all that when we started this podcast, this is episode what, nine, ten? right 10 i think 10 10 wow well celebrate so when we started this podcast rob would find the most elaborate drinks of all time and i he would you know you would have to boil shit and you would have to strain and you would have to shake six times in a clockwise circle like it was nuts and now we've gotten to the dumbing down of the drinks uh, that's that's what I want to say. Like we we started, we aimed high, that's we true. shot for the moon, we didn't hit the stars, um, <laughs> and so our drink today is the velvet beer. Thank you. It's soft yet butch, just yep. like our book. much like you, but just just like, just like me, just <laughs> like me. Um, and what is in a velvet beer? It's a it's Guinness <laughs> beer and champagne. Mm -hmm. A Guinness beer and with like a champagne float, would you yeah, say? Exactly. So you take a highball glass, you put half of it filled with Guinness beer, then you take the other half and you fill it up with champagne. All class, all the time. Hey, all and, class, all ass. And speaking of classy, I'm really excited. We've got a guest with us today who just I received know. just received his master's 
So uh, this is this is a big deal. I feel so intellectually inferior. Um, do, do we call him Doctor? Or? What do we call? Lo, this is the wonderful Logan Hoy Tucker. Um, Lo, Logan, what do we call you? Doctor, Mister, Professor, Sir, please. Wow! Wow! I'm That's, just gonna call you cute guy. That is a that is a grinder handle if I've ever heard one. Please, that's a bio. That's a bio. Good for you, Logan. Where did you just Hi. complete your 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 education at? I just graduated via YouTube from <laughs> NYU Steinhardt uh, back in May. I remember my early twenties. We have and, the twenties, the thirties, and the forties in this pod right now. Yes, that's that's wow. that's true. Logan, where did you grow up? Little town of less than 4,000 people in West Virginia called Ravenswood. When did you first discover that, you know, you were gay and how did your coming out process work? Um, so I would say in gay years, which is something that I acknowledge, I don't know how we feel about that. I am very, 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 very young. Um, what's, what's gay years? I don't know what that is. I, it's, I, kind of, I calculate gay years from the time that I came out. Um, oh. So, yeah. So in gay years, I am a toddler. I am about two years old um, since I started coming out. And I, I view that as kind of like my, my maturity as a gay man because, you know, I was living outwardly not as a gay man, even though I know I've always been gay um, for like 22 years of my life. Wow. Um, so I grew up in a very religious household um, and a very religious community. For another reference, my hometown was once uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records in the 90s for having the most churches per capita of anywhere in the world. Oh, fuck me, really? <laughs> so even, even just not even within my own family, but literally everyone in my hometown was related to some form of Christianity or another. Robbie, you know, when did you, Robbie, when did you start to, to figure out that, you know, you were a homosexual? Uh, birth. <laughs> In the womb. Yeah. When you decorated yeah, I it. wandered out with some glitter and I was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> uh, middle school, truly. Um, a lot of it had to do with The Wizard of Oz and movie musicals. In, in, in what way? Um, uh, seeing the world in black and white, and then uh, the the bloom of color, and also the um, the three weirdos that she picks up along the way, because she's really like the ultimate fruit fly, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She just picks up three queer canon people and uh, are like, "Let's go kill this bitch," uh, and we're all down. That's. Actually, the plot of The Wizard of Oz is uh, it's about Actually, a serial killer. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask, because you, know, you need to classify. Um, from the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Lion, who was the top, who was the bottom, and who was verse? <laughs> I'm going to assume that, that the Tin Man was the bottom because oil can. Interesting. I would assume that the, uh, that the, uh, the Tin Man was going to be a top. And really? The, and the Scarecrow was going to you... be verse. And and the cowardly line was going to be a bottom, but you know, got a lot to, of questions about that. Agree to disagree. About that. Agree to disagree. Come on, oil can oil me <laughs> up. Logan, would you like to be a tiebreaker in this? Uh, well, I was going to say the Tim Man has to be a top because he has no heart. But um... <gasps> oh oh <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> he's coming for us, Francis. <laughs> I can't. So Logan, do did you consume queer media? Uh, 
as you were living this sort of sheltered existence? Honestly, no. Um, no it, will and grace, nothing. No, uh, I I heard about will and grace in high school. It's, I actually have a good will and grace story. I heard about it for the first time when I was in high school and it was referenced towards me in a negative way. They oh. said, said I reminded them of will from will and grace and I didn't know what that was. And so I asked, I said, what, what is will and grace? And they're like, Oh, it's a, it's a gay person on a television show. And of course, immediately I was filled with shame as we might talk about in this book because I was taught that that's something to be shameful of. At what point did you start to get over that there was a, that there was a shame associated with it? Starting to get over it um, when I was in college um, because I had suppressed it for so long and I, I came out, started beginning my journey of coming out right at the end of college. Whenever, whenever I started to, there, there still very was, there still very much was that sense of shame. It's still something that ebb and fl- ebbs and flows for me. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's not a definitive thing for me. It's, it's more of a process that will be heavier on some days and lighter on another. Um, but I would say that's when I, I started to, when I first started telling people is when the shame began to peel away. What is the shame exactly? I, for me, I think it was a lot of uh, my religious upbringing. So yeah, initially it was a lot of, you're going to burn in hell. You're not worthy of the love that everybody else is supposed to receive, whether that's spiritual or inter, uh, interperson love. Um, and yeah, there was also a bit of a shame of a disappointment. I was afraid that I would be a disappointment um, to those that you know I cared about and valued in my life. Um, so I, I have a, a story that I think might be better shared later in the in the episode. But what it later became for me was people around me began to accept myself, and then I started realizing, oh, I have to accept myself too. And that's that's the hardest part I think for for me. Uh, I've been met with so many wonderful people around me that embrace me and and love me but it's more of a process that's inward that's more difficult yes yeah robbie did you because you're i mean your show songs from inside my locker which is now available in physical copy as well off of amazon thank Um, you so much you did which is and once again folks it's an amazing album if you haven't purchased it what what's wrong with you go buy it um strained an eyeball rolling it (laughs) no so so my my question for you the robbie is, is your your show deals a lot with bullying and mm-hmm. the act of being bullied for being an, an openly gay person in, in high school, did you ever feel a sense of shame? I know there's, you talk about bullying a lot, but was there ever a sense of shame? No. I, I think I realized very early on that there was uh, the only way that I could live personally was uh, just as authentically as possible. And so that's just what I've striven to do since day one, just be me and lead that parade down my lane. You know what I mean? Um, who, so there was no, no shame tied into that. Logan, who was the first person that you actually came out to? Actually a boy that um, asked me out on a date. <gasps> um, yes, it was shortly after I had, um, shortly after I had been uh, at, at NYU. Yeah, shortly after I'd been at NYU and he, um, he asked me on a date and I realized, oh, okay, you think I'm just out and proud and living my best life. You probably don't know any of my backstory because I haven't told it. 
Um, so I had to tell him, I'm like, actually, I've never told anybody this. I am gay. I know you just assumed that, which is perfectly fine because everybody else in my life has, as they should. Um, but this is actually who I am. And I've never told anybody about it before. Um, it was definitely not the way I envisioned it happening, but that's, that's my story. Robbie, um, what, what about what about you? Who was the first person you came out to? My brother. How, I'm how not that anybody needed fucking flashcards. I'm telling you, the first cassettes I ever bought were the Beaches soundtrack and Dionne Warwick greatest hits 1979 to 1990. Just point me to the dick. Where can I find it? That's <laughs> who did you come out to first? Who did I come out to first? Oh, I came out to my parents. I came out to my parents first. Well, your was, father's a private detective. He didn't know already. That was, that was, it was one of the most awkward, one of the most awkward things I think I've ever gone through in my entire life and something that uh, now I can laugh at. But at the time I was like, this is absolutely traumatizing. Would you like to hear the story? Sure. I'll tell you. So my, I'll, I'll never forget this. I was at a, I was 17 years old. I was at a birthday party and I called home to be like, Hey, I'm going to stay later. And my mom picked up and she's like, you have to come home right now. And I was like, I was like, what's going on? She goes, I will tell you when you get home. I was like, Oh fuck. Like, and I was, I was a very like good kid. I was like goody two shoes. I was like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, so I sense. go home and it's my, <laughs> it's my mother and father sitting around the kitchen table. My mom looks like, like, a ghost like she looks just like like so disturbed by something and my dad is this like he's a detective from brooklyn and so he talks like a detective from brooklyn and so my mom looks at him goes howard tell him so he goes uh so uh uh, we found the pornography (laughs) and uh it's uh it's a gay pornography so uh anything you want to tell us I said, and I, and I, it felt like very natural. I was like, well, I'm gay, hence the gay pornography. I had always thought when I was going to come out that my mom was going to be okay with it and my father was going to be uncomfortable by it. Totally not the case. My, my mom, first question she asked me, she goes, were you molested? And I was like, no, no. And she goes, and, and are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, well don't expect me to go leading any parades for you. And I was like, well, this is, this is going great. <laughs> this is going great so far. Was it, first of all, a lot of questions. Oh, was wait, it, wait. first of all, good porn? That's my. Yeah, I think it was. And I think, I think what the major issue was, was we only had one computer in the house and it was for my dad's business. And so I kind of, this is old. Private school. detecting. I literally had to print the pornography off the computer. Like that, this is how old school we're talking. I wasn't like going and looking at, I, you had to like print it off. That's, that's what we're talking about. So he might've just been upset that I didn't replace the ink cartridge you know, at the end of the day. So, but, but, but it gets even more awkward. So the next morning, uh, my dad comes and he, he says, so uh, uh, last night uh, you said you're gay. And I said, yeah, he goes, that's a pretty big statement to make. And I said, yeah, he goes, uh, you sure? I said, absolutely. He goes, uh, Sure you're not experimenting? I said, no, I'm pretty sure, Dad. He goes, because you know it's uh, normal to experiment. I said, no. And he goes, uh, I experimented. I was like, oh. He goes, a lot. <laughs> it's like, I said, you know what, Dad? I'm totally, I'm totally fine. Flash forward years later, 
we're cleaning out like a family album. Like we had all these photographs. And so uh, my ex at the time, he comes up to me and goes, what is this? What are you doing in this photograph? And I was like, what? And he shows me this black and white photograph of what looks like me posing with another man in my underwear. And I'm like, that's not me. That's my dad. So <laughs> I go up to my mom and I'm like, mom, who's this guy in the photo with dad? She goes, that's Mitchell. I said, who's Mitchell? She goes, your father's friend. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, how do they know each other? She goes, ask your father. So my dad comes and he goes, hey, what's going on? I said, dad, who's Mitchell? He goes, <laughs> never saw the man sweat so much in my life. So I don't know. My father might have been in gay porn in the 70s. This, this is a Tracy Let's Play. <laughs> so that's, I'm sorry, that's my coming out story. That's act one of a three-act Tracy Let's Play. And we still don't know who Mitchell is. <laughs> so Mitchell, if you're out there, what did you do with my father? What did you do with him? Am I hot or not? Answer the questions. <laughs> and Mitchell, did you read The Velvet Rage? Okay. So, so, <laughs> so let's so, talk about The Velvet Rage. Let's, let's do that. So, Logan, how did you discover this? I discovered it um, through a, a friend. I was talking about um, queer books with, with a friend one day, and they mentioned The Velvet Rage. And I was like, what is that? I've never heard of it. Um, and they're like, you haven't heard of the Velvet Rage. It was like earth shattering news to them. And I was like, no, I haven't. And they said, you need to read it now. You, I think the quote was, you can't be gay and not read this book. Um, so of course I was like, oh, I've got to now. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit, if we may, about the, this, this thesis of the book and how the book works itself through. So great. Dr. Downs, or Dr. Down, Downs, Downs, Alan Downs, his thesis is pretty much that self-destruction and shame are the foundation of gay men. Shame, he says, is, quote, the fear of being unlovable. And it is not embarrassment over being gay. It is, a, it is the belief that being gay is a symptom of your own mortally flawed psyche. And because it's a secret a man cannot reveal, it often leads to self-destructive habits. So let me ask you both. Do you feel, and we'll start with Logan, do you feel that that is an accurate statement, that self-destruction and shame are the foundation of gay men. I don't think his definition of shame fits exactly what I experienced. Because um, he, with the bit about um, it's not a, an embarrassment of being gay, um, for, for me, my shame included that for a long time because I was taught that it was something to be embarrassed about. So I don't like that he disincludes that um, or unincludes it. From the definition, for me, it goes hand in hand. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do think for for at least myself, this was a major tenet of of how I was dealing with with my sexuality for a long time. So there, so for you, there is an element of that. There is absolutely an element of that. Um, and then, and then, Robbie, what about you? Absolutely not. What do you think is the foundation of gay men, if there is a foundation of gay men? Loving uh, the same sex is what defines homosexuality right like yes. that's the the very broad definition of it uh i don't i don't think anything beyond that everybody is uh, their own being whatever that is there are no tenets of like you if you're gay you will automatically love judy garland you will hang out at marie's crisis you're gonna drink overpriced vodka sodas the rest of your life and will die alone like that's 
maybe where, where we're disagreeing initially. I don't believe that this self-destruction and shame is something that is innately in all gay men, but I think it is something that has been put upon gay men for the large majority by society, especially in America. So that it's something that society is doing. It's not something like in, that's inherent in us that just sort of manifests itself at some point. Because for, for myself, I can think back to when I was little and I had you know, feelings that were different than other, other guys where I was, I was uh, you know, looking at men and finding them attractive and not women. To, to my you know, natural brain, there was nothing wrong with that. I didn't have words for it. I didn't know what it was, but that was my reality. It was only once I was taught that it was bad that all of a sudden I had the shame in all of those parts. This book is divided really into three sections, three stages, and then tips for leading a more authentic life. Stage one, it's- Grief, the- depression, anger. Oh, sorry. That's Keebler uh- <laughs> Ross. Stage one, <laughs> is splitting the shame into two separate identities. So you know you're gay, and then you decide, I can't put out that uh, that identity out into the world because I'm ashamed of it, or society is telling me that I can't. So we create our own identity. Um, so the first question is, is we all realized, it seems pretty early on in our development, that we were attracted to men, but did we ever deny our sexuality? Some going so far you know some some of these people in this book took up wives um even and we're still having affairs on the side so did we ever deny our sexuality once we started to realize yes we were gay anyone here have a girlfriend sure like in middle school at high school or no no logan no i had seen saved by the bell by then I did have I did have a girlfriend in middle school. I don't think that really counts. Um, right? I, I'm sorry. What I said right because it's just like that's yeah. what you do in middle school. Yeah, every everybody's doing it, so you do it. Right. Um, and then I had a, a brief relationship at the end of college with a woman. Oh, uh, yes, but that yeah, it, it was it was all all the while knowing that that's not who I was. Um, but because, because of the expectations put on me by everyone else around me for the longest time, I thought that's what I had to be. Um, and I think that was, that was kind of my last attempt to be like, is this, is this something I can, you know, keep, keep hidden from everybody else and live this other life? And I quickly learned that I couldn't. So. Got it. I had a girlfriend in high school. I had a girlfriend in high school and she was the most beautiful girl you'd ever want to see in your life. And I felt bad because all she wanted to do was make out. And I always found one excuse after another not to make out with her. We're still good friends to this day. We're still good friends to this day. I remember, I remember one, one of the times she was like, she goes, what's the problem? And I was like, I have a cold sore. Um, and so now every time I see her, she goes, how's that cold sore coming? Stage two in this book is compensation, compensating for shame. And he says we do it by seeking the validation of others, um, especially after we come out. Um, so this is hard. I was like, I have a hard one for this because like, I've always been seeking the validation of others. I think even before I realized there was such a thing as homosexuality. Like, sure. Uh, how important but, is like validation for us? I don't think that's a gay thing. You think it's an think overall that's a thing? Human thing. Yeah. Look at any actor you've ever met. Yeah. Do you right? feel 
But so for, for Logan, let me ask you, did you feel that after you came out, because this is, this is somewhat recent for, for you in the grand scheme of things, right? Like, yes. did, you, did you feel like you needed to seek the validation of others um, or to like outdo yourself? Because one of the things he's saying in this compensation for shame thing is, is that we, that's, he's, he, he says that's why gay men are so successful because they're compensating for the shame. And that's why you're seeing gay men that are like running companies and owning art galleries and, and like being really successful artists and lawyers and doctors. Is that what motivates you? It, I don't. I don't agree with the motivational part. No, I think that comes from the fact that gay people are so resilient and so creative mm. because they have to be um, because they've they have been suppressed or or they've been ridiculed in so many ways and they just they're fighters. They know how to to get what they want and keep going. But for the validation part of it, that that's not what motivates me. But I experienced it both within the closet and out. I wanted the validation that I was living my, my straight life to the expectation of others. And then once I came out, I think this is something that pervades the gay community immensely because now it's all about the validation of, are you gay enough? Are you gay in the way that the world sees you and the way you should be, you know, within your category, within the community, whatever. Um, I think this, this specific part is one that's very, very prominent for myself and I've experienced a lot. So for, can we say at least for the three of us who are three very driven individuals, right? I mean, that's, you can say a lot of things about us, but you can at least say that we're, we're, we're trying desperately to do what we like to do. That I'm just sitting on the couch, but you have an album. Logan has a master's and yep. I just cleaned my iPad. Good. Um, but <laughs> thank you. Um, so, so, but what's motivating us, I'm assuming is the love of our art not necessarily like I need to prove to the world that I should not be, be ashamed of. And what I'm going to create um, will be so wonderful and so well-respected that it's going to invalidate any shame that I might've felt. Hmm. I mean, that's not why I personally, that's not why I made an album. Tax um, yeah, obviously <laughs> did not uh, lost money. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> stream it. Uh, just play it well and turn the volume down while you do other things. Um, <laughs> it needs the streams. But uh, why, so, that, so why do you do it? Why do you do it? I, I, but what's interesting is I tend to have created queer, everything I've done has been very queer centric. Like the things that I'm known for. Um, and that wasn't by design. It's just uh, a, an extension of living authentically. So like, uh, creating Playbill Pride or uh, the What the World Needs Now is Love single um, for the Pulse uh, nightclub shooting um, or or my album, like anything like that has just been an extension of fully inhabiting myself. Got it. And how about for you, Logan? I, I would agree with both of you, but I would also probably agree up to this point, I've been a little bit more in Rob's camp. Yeah, I, I just do what I do because I love it. Um, and because it's, it's what makes me happiest. I don't do it to cancel out the shame that I might feel or, or right. felt. Yeah, yeah. Another thing he mentions in, in stage two, which is compensating for shame, is that like, um, that, there's, that there's a high level of addiction and sexual promiscuity within the community. And that comes from, once again, trying to compensate for the shame that we, we're unhappy with ourselves. So we're going to seek out something that will take us away from that for 
a moment or two, whether that's drugs, alcohol, sex. Why do you think that there's this stereotype that the gay community is promiscuous, which is something he's underlining in his book? I, like I came of age in the AIDS era, so promiscuity was not going to happen. You know what I mean? Because you could die. Like that's what you saw on television. And yeah, um, so I, I'm sure it's out there. And I mean, you definitely hear tell of like the rambles or whatever, but that's not been my experience. I was going to say for, I, I think at least for our generation, that was what we grew up on. You grew up on that sex was going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, and I think just about every television show or movie we had seen, there were gay characters and they either were all dying or they were going to kill themselves or they were, you know, uh, they, they were, were the martyrs. serial killers. They were martyrs. Right. Like it was just never presented in a positive light. But the big thing was sex kills. So, Logan, for your generation, for someone in their early 20s in which, you know, HIV, if you have HIV, is now manageable. And, you know, there, there's ways of having it suppressed that you can't pass it on in sexual contact, or you can take something like PrEP in which it will, it will block your body from getting that. So that's not really an issue so much anymore. But how does that change in your generation? Do, do you see a lot, of, um, a lot of sexuality? Yes, um, quite frankly. And I think the ages of social media has exploded that in, into something that is sometimes unavoidable in, in some instances. Um, even when you're not actively seeking it out, you follow somebody on Twitter and they felt like posting you know, naked pictures of themselves that day. And that's mm-hmm. just, that's something that you come to know. I saw recently a, a meme that somebody re, uh, retweeted or reposted somewhere. And they said, stop saying you're horny when you're lonely. And that kind of summed it up for me. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, and it relates back to what he's talking in the book. When you're having those negative feelings about yourself or your life or whatever, a lot of people turn to something else, whether it's sex or drugs or whatever. Um, and I definitely think that's something that pervades the, at least the, the younger generations in the queer community right now. And do you think that's something that stems from their queerness, which is what I think he seems to be saying in the book, which is the reason that you're doing it is because of the shame you feel for being um, a gay person? Or is it just you're young and you're horny? I think it can be both. I don't, I, again, like Robbie said earlier, he's very definitive about everything he says in this book. I don't think in, in reality they are, these things are that definitive. But yeah, he's not on a spectrum at all. No. It's, it's very black or white for him, right? There's no, there's no in between. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to make sure I get in to say, what I was disappointed about in reading this updated version, um, I think it was published in 2012, Yeah, I thought there would be some sort of specific discussion about the challenges of being a queer person of color. Um, and it's very, it's very much the cisgendered white man's experience as he sees it. And, yeah, and which, that. which yeah. is always... You're going to live in a big city and get frustrated and move to New Mexico. Like, <laughs> a, you could boil a, down every single one of his clients to that. Um, I have to say, I would be interested to hear what he thinks of uh, like being queer in the age of social media and in the age of apps. I, yes. He talks so much about bar culture, which is not a 
thing it's anymore. No, bar culture is, especially now, bar culture is yeah. gone. Well, I'm, I will, I, I will, I will say this. This was my big problem with the book. I was doing okay with the book until he started bringing in examples of people, and I was like, every example so is the four? same. Uh, yeah, the page, I was like, oh, okay. And then page six, and then page eight, and it's always the same thing. Like Kyle had found the cure to cancer. And he was able to operate on himself, and he's a multimillionaire, but he feels lonely. So he buys yachts. But that's just replaced. I'm like, I, I feel lonely. Like, I, I'd like to buy a yacht. Like, every single person was filthy rich. Mm-hmm. Every single person had money to burn. Yeah, that's Everything. why they have psychoanalysts. I was like, can you, like, I was like, can we talk about, like, what's it like to be somebody who's on a very low economic rung? And trying to come out. What's it like growing up in a town where there's like a town of four thousand people, and you right. like where, where is where where are the people of color? Where's where's immigration? Where's trans? Like there was it's none of the, it's every single thing is like John owns an art gallery, and I'm it's, like, well, good for fucking John because I have to look under my sofa to see if I can go to McDonald's this week for change. Like it's really because he's he's writing one he's writing for himself. Like, yeah. that's what it feels like to me. He's writing for and about himself. And two, you're not going to run into him on, like, BetterHelp.com. No. He is a psychoanalyst who's going to charge a great deal of money. So, of course, all of his clients are, like, art dealers and, like, lawyers and shit. It, it was um, very... I say that, that lovingly. But, yeah, it's yes. very cis, white. To me, I'll be honest with you. I can look at the other stuff and go... Oh, that's interesting. Okay, shame. All right, that's interesting. Da, 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 da. But I was like, is every fucking person, is every fucking person like a multimillionaire? So yeah. then finally, his last thing in stage three is now seeking a better life, which is cultivating authenticity, which is you've had your shame, you've rebelled against the shame, and now you have to break, you've broken the shame pattern, you've broken it, and now you're starting to build a different life for yourself. And he the says acceptance. there's two types of acceptance. Um, there's foreclosure which is a fast turnaround, like, I'm not going to have random sex anymore um, because I'm lonely, versus resolution, which is, I think, what everyone is striving for and what I think you hear in, like, all your therapy sessions, which is, like, slow change, slow change. Mm -hmm. It's like a diet, slow change. You don't want to be losing a lot of weight real fast, slow change. Do you feel, the two of you, that where are you in terms of cultivating your own authenticity? I I feel... I felt very targeted by this part of the book when I was reading it, especially during quarantine. Was it weird because it started off Dear Logan? Uh, <laughs> no, not not entirely. Um, but the whenever I, I started reading it, I felt like I was forcibly in a state of foreclosure, not necessarily in terms of my queerness, but in the case of the world. You know, everything was put to a stop and we were being forced to figure out a new way of doing things. Um, so initially I was like, I was reading this section. I was like, oh shit, I've, I'm just living in a foreclosure that's, that's fast, but also never going to end. Um, and as I finished it and had a little bit more time to think, I was like, okay, no, that's, that's not where I live day to day. I am definitely in a, in a resolution of a slow change towards getting where I want to be. Um, but what it did make me think of is within the foreclosure and resolution, I think this also pervades the queer community, but in smaller ideas. Um, we probably all have heard of ghosting as a thing. And I feel like small example of foreclosure. 
where you're with somebody and you might, you might've been with them for a month. You might've been with them for just one night, but you're talking and you're getting to know everybody. Um, and then all of a sudden it just goes silent. They go in a completely different direction. They never text you back. They never call you again or whatever. Um, and they do something different with their life. Um, so that, that's where I saw the similarity for myself. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, I've been foreclosed on by somebody else. So. I'm, I'm assuming because of social media, that's like, it's easier to do. It's easier to dismiss someone because you don't actually have to hear their voice or see them in person to do it. It's just easier to block their number. Yeah. Logan, where are you quarantined? Um, so I was quarantined in West Virginia, actually. Okay. I, I was there for four months. Um, I returned to the city a little over a month ago. So I'm in East Harlem right now. Um, but I but quarant- you were home, home? Yes, I was home, home in West Virginia for four months. And that's where I read the book. And mm. let's talk about your coming out and now you're back home. Oh, in yeah. your childhood home. And what is that like for you? It's, it's very jarring. I will say I had a very positive coming out experience, way better than I ever could have imagined. Good for you. Uh, uh, yes, I, was, I felt very lucky in that regard because that's just not how I imagined it going, but it was better than I could have imagined. But it was very strange. I have not been home for that long in about five years now. Um, and I was there for four months straight thinking I'd be there for like two initially. Sure, um, sure. So it's very strange. I mean, initially I was like, oh, I'm code switching every single day. I, and as a, as a singer, I am so aware of my voice. I realized I was talking in a complete different range of pitches um, than I normally would. Uh, not even because I was experiencing um, negative comments about my, my appearance or the way I live my life or anything. You were it, just auto like lowering. Yeah. Lowering my voice at mm-hmm. like a constant, constant level. Um, or even just the way I would normally talk with my friends, whether they're gay, straight, anything, um, was completely different. So I, I noticed all of those things and I was like, well, what's kind of happening to me is even though I'm not still experiencing those negative things from the outside, because I'm back in the same space that I was in as a, as a closeted person, I'm kind of retreating back into those ways. Um, so that was an interesting thing to start to navigate. And I, I got a, a handle on it um, further into quarantine, but it was a it was a rough time there for a little bit. I'll tell you. Hmm. I can imagine. I can absolutely imagine. And then, Robbie, what about you? Where have you been? Uh, I live in a store. <laughs> um, th- that's like where I've been. I I live here with my what? husband, and that's he code switches on the phone. What is what? Wait, wait, wait. What is code switching? Um, code switching is when you will talk to some people one way and then you will change your demeanor, etc., to fit in with uh, a new circumstance that oh. is safer. Okay. Yeah. So like Len, when he gets on the phone, will automatically your husband. lower his voice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. I usually go higher for some reason. I don't know why that is. Well, that's a Peter Brady syndrome, and we're working on it. What's Peter <laughs> Brady syndrome? Because <laughs> he cracked. Yeah. Usually, when I'm on the this is like well, the way I'm speaking right now is my natural speaking voice. But that's if I'm on correct. the but if I'm on the phone, I'm like, "Hi, how are you?" It gets. Oh yeah, that's true. You do. Gets into a mask. Very that's high. There it is. <laughs> mask for mask. <laughs> Gule. 
so, but for you, Robbie, it sounds yeah. like you were cultivating authenticity from a very early age. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. don't, so you didn't really, did you have to cultivate authenticity or was it something that you just felt was always there? Uh, no, I think that it's something, I think, okay. So as I'm sitting here thinking about like being in quarantine, et cetera, and there was a time in my life where I had to have like the perfect express jeans and, you know, like the, I had to get the, these clothing, which were like um, uh, gay elite symbols, right? You're and in stage now, two compensation. Thanks. And now I'm j- truly just like in a comfy t-shirt all the time. Uh, all the time. Like I, I have become, like I've uh, evolved into just being Robbie all the time instead of like trying to impress um, with what I have, which I guess yes. is part of like, that's in the book. Um, so I guess in micro levels, I see that. Amazing. And are you a multi-millionaire that owns, that owns an art gallery? Uh, no, I do have then seven I'm... kinds of gin on my bar. Oh, not, not good that. enough for Dr. Downs. I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll try to find you with a different therapy. But Logan's coming over. You're going to take the N over. That's amazing. Logan, how about you in terms of authenticity? Well, that's where I feel like my, my personal philosophy on like gay years kind of comes into, into yes. play. What he's talking about because it, it not, not to say that um, we're exactly the same or anything like that, but because Robbie's experience of coming out much sooner than I did um, and was so successful for him um, or positive, I should say the you've, you've had so much more time to find, to find that balance for yourself. Whereas I'm, you know, two years into this journey um, and it's still very fresh. I, you know, I, I don't know where my footing is in my authenticity from day to day still. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's still something that I'm striving for, but I would say I'm definitely not as comfortable in that area um, of this as some, some people. And one of the things that he talks, uh, he talks about in terms of his authenticity and stuff is this idea of using uh, therapy um, as, as a way of finding your authentic self. Now, uh, I'm in therapy and I'm discovering that, but some people either are not in therapy because they don't feel like they need to be or they can't afford to be. So how do you create an authentic self if you don't have uh, someone that's pushing you along in that direction? Which is, Robbie, it sounds like you were pretty much pushing yourself along, right? Yeah. In terms of... Uh, I, I think that it comes with time. Mm-hmm. I think I think like the more time you allow yourself, it's like brewing tea. Like the more time you allow yourself to steep, the better off you are. Amazing. And Logan, what about you? I I agree. And that's that's what's so hard about it. Um, is it does take it takes longer you know the the longer a wine is aged the more it's valued and the more it's revered um so it's very similar and and what makes it harder is for some people that time can be easier because they have they've surrounded themselves with all of these positive people and positive experiences but if you're the another person and you're waiting on that time to pass and you have all these negative influences around you or bad experiences 
it feels like it will never end and it feels like it's impossible. Um, so that's where I feel like his one point about surrounding your inner circle um, with people that make you feel safe and make you feel um, validated is so important so that as that time passes, you've got a safe, a safe haven to always be with as you go through that time. Yeah. And the last section of the book really is giving you tips for that because like, like I was saying earlier, you know, it's hard to be crafting an authentic life if the only person that's holding you accountable is just yourself. It takes a while. It takes a while to learn how to like actually listen to yourself. So I found the last part of the book, which he calls skills for leading an authentic life, really, um, really interesting. And he gives you about 22 points that Can you I say should... this yeah, is oh, yeah. the part of the book I liked. Talk, please talk about this the the um sort of um because he would give like a do this here's an example of doing this and uh it made sense in fact there were there was like a thing about joy which is the one quote that i pulled from this entire uh book and i'm pulling up the quotes right now um and it was it says uh, make yourself vulnerable to joy Notice when you feel joy. Repeat the beat. Make yourself vulnerable to joy. Notice when you feel joy. Repeat the behaviors that create joy. And that's that was my take. Like that was my great takeaway from this book. Repeat the things that bring you joy. That's wonderful. And then Logan, how about for you? A big takeaway from this book. The quote that I pulled from it is actually not a quote from Dr. Downs, um, which is interesting. Nothing wrong with that. It tells you a lot about the book. Uh, he, Dr. Downs. He's he going to be in therapy so much after he hears this. Betterhelp.com and use the code <laughs> gay card revoked. That's not real. In the preface that he writes for the new edition, mm -hmm. he talks about how he was going to expand that last section, the skills for leading an authentic life. And in doing that explanation, he quotes a British psychiatrist, R.D., I'm going to say this name probably incorrectly, Laying, L-A-I-N-G. Um, and the quote is, whether, whether life is worth living depends on where there is love in life. And that at first might sound really bleak and really negative, the way I view that quote is, if there is not love in what is happening in your life, it's not worth pursuing. Um, and so that kind of became my guiding principle for um, everything moving forward after reading this book. If there's a relationship in my life that does not include love, um, and that can be a myriad of ways of loving, um, it's not worth continuing. It's not worth wasting my energy. If there's work that I'm doing that doesn't somehow connect to my love, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a part of my life. From for me, it's actually the first tip he live he says in leading an authentic life. It says, "What would the man I wish to become do in this situation?" And I was like, "That's a really nice way of I think st sticking with the positive and keeping like a future goal of what you might be able to create for yourself." So for me, that's what I I, I really walked away with. So our last question then for all of us is: um, Some people are going to read this and love it. And some people are going to read it and throw it across the room, um, but it's 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 a it's a hot button issue. It's a controversial issue. So why is it important for you to have read this book to keep your gay card, whether or not you liked it, whether or not you dismiss it? Um, why is it important for us to read it? And we'll start with Logan. 
even though we've we've all agreed that it's a very narrow and specific experience for these very rich white gay men it is another experience within our our spectrum of our community and i think for me personally i want to take in as many experiences and as many positions on all of the issues as possible um so it's it's another one to add into it do i think i should read five books like this absolutely not <laughs> but i think it's important just to add to the lexicon um just so you have another area to draw from in your your quest towards that authentic life i love it and robbie what about you i would jump straight to the skills for leading an authentic life the bypass all the bullshit and get straight to the daily tenants um which are useful and uh include guided practice guided practices um to to be the person that you want to be right um and for that i would say read it I wish I could tell you guys that I just left this book up and I, uh, my mind exploded. Um, it did not, but that portion is useful. And, you know, and once again, whether or not you, you're, you're going to cling to it or you're going to dismiss it, mm -hmm. either way, it's, it's something that you should read because one of the things I think also to be aware of as I was reading it, goes back to one of his points in the end of the book, which is find someone's core innocence. When you're reading it and you go, oh my God, there's, so I will say, I think I was very lucky in the fact that to me, I never really felt a sense of shame about being a gay person. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember, there's lots of people that do. Their actions manifest themselves in ways that you would not do. And to just be more open that, hey, not everyone had the same experience as you. So I think the book for me, while I don't agree with a lot of it, at least reminds me that we all, we're all on different journeys and we, we have different paths. And I'm so grateful we had Logan here to yes. talk about this book. With. Yes, yes. He's so intelligent and oh. <laughs> charming to look at. It's been a very nice uh, hour and a half, I'll Let say me. that. So Logan, where can people find you on the interwebs? Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toby. T-O-B-E-Y, or not to be. I created that in high school because I thought it was really quippy um, and I was in theater, so. Is it to bay or not to be? Toby or not to be. My nickname in high school was Toby. It's a long story. Um, so Toby or not to be on Twitter and Instagram. I, I think you might have to come back sometime and tell us this story because now I'm fascinated. Um, this is, Logan, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm, I'm thank you so, thank you so much for sharing yeah. so so much and it's so nice to hear um it's, it's just nice to hear from from a younger person how things are getting so much better logan if you ever get the chance to see him perform is absolutely incredible really really great great talent uh robbie what is everyone's homework for our next episode i'm really excited uh because we're turning to one of my favorite um film directors alfred hitchcock and I know you go, huh, that's weird. What does Alfred Hitchcock have to do that's gay? We're going to watch the movie Rope, written by Arthur Lawrence. And it starred his man friend at the time, Farley Granger. I'm really excited. So listen, uh, follow us, G Revoked, on all the uh, things. 
uh subscribe like review reviews help other people find yes. us and uh we need to be found much like evan hansen we need to be found um <laughs> and also if you're <laughs> logan laughed and just did a no no he doesn't need to be found and also don't forget uh, listeners if you're in santa fe new mexico make sure to check out one of their 1000 queer art galleries correct have opened in the yeah. past couple of years yeah, you the might last... meet the lawyer of your dreams who just opened up a restaurant that's just a hole in the wall. <laughs> Logan's going to Santa Fe. You and all the newsies can go check out the art galleries. And, Maybe and that's what happened to rent. Crunchy. And rent and rent. Like, truly, that's the mecca for all musicals. Like, why is that the place that Have everybody ever... in a musical wants to go to? Santa you ever Fe. Been to, you ever been to Santa Fe? It's gorgeous. No, I like myself. <laughs> it's what? very beautiful. You know what I learned to do in Santa Fe? make salmon quesadillas they're actually quite tasty seriously a lesbian <laughs> lesbian did teach me <laughs> the salmon quesadillas. how did you know that that's actually a true story <laughs> i'm very wise oh my god i feel like new mexico is like the ithaca of of the the southwest sure uh, sure yeah it's just lesbian owned and operated and it's and, and aliens. There's lesbians it's and aliens. It's a lot of Georgia O'Keefe. All no, right. Friend, thanks so much. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Oh, Rose. Oh, forget you. Come to Rose.